Uh, I've been coming here pretty much 25 years, I guess, uh, since 1993, and uh, I've been uh, a Dharma student, and uh, I've occasionally left for a little while and come back, but uh, there's always been something very um, wonderful, I think, about uh, the experience with its highs and lows of being a member of the temple. Energized of his work, and uh, his friend said, uh, I like it, it's on the, the edge of failure. <laughs> but uh, I had an experience years ago, uh, and, and the subject, by way of this, is supposed to be uh, just life experiences. I, I kind of you know, think that life experiences, rather than talking about Buddhist doctrines and things like that, are, uh, you know, are more relevant. And uh, in particular, kind of intuitions or uh, accidents that happen in life. So I have never smoked cigarettes. But uh, when I was young, I was maybe early 20s, I, I thought, you know, I'd like to kind of smoke a pipe. You know, it, it looked kind of cool. And, uh, you know, it, it was, I thought, somewhat harmless. And, uh, and also there's a big mystique around pipes. You know, there are different pipes. There you could, dozens of different tobaccos you can buy. You have to break them in. You have to clean them. And I just liked everything about the pipe. You know, holding it, it gave you something to do with your hands. The warm bowl, the aromatic smell. Uh, the only thing I discovered I didn't like about pipe smoking was the effect of the tobacco, <laughs> which was, you think, the whole point. But, you know, it made me dizzy. Uh, yeah, you're not supposed to inhale. But, you know, it, I, it made me feel nauseous. And, you know, one day, um, I was working for Canadian Admiral at the time. They're no longer there, building refrigerators. Uh, a senior a person on the line came and, and kind of gave me a Dharma talk about smoking, you know. He, uh, he said, you know, the usual stuff, you know, like, I don't care if you're smoking a pipe or a cigarette, this is bad for you, and uh, you should drop it. And, you know, I thought, sure, you know, you're 22 years old, who cares? Uh, <laughs> but there's something there that stuck. And, you know, there was something that, yeah, you know, that he was right about. And about a month later, one problem with pipes is they're difficult to clean, basically. I was bringing all my pipe collection. By that, that time, I had about a dozen uh, to uh, work because they had compressed air. I was going to blow them out. And when I got off, <laughs> when I got off the, uh, the subway, I left the bag way, you know, and I, I realized it soon after, and I thought, yeah, I'm not going to bother with it again. You know, I didn't phone the TTC or anything like that. There was just something there that I thought, yeah, maybe not. And you, you find, if you look at your whole life, there are um, instances that things happen, and they kind of you know something important's happened, life-changing, um, and a, a number of things like this I've, I've mentioned in the past. Um, and uh, it could just be um, like, again, walking by the temple one morning uh, to get a coffee, 
and uh, you just all of a sudden know time stops that there's this place kind of off the street and it's going to be very important. You don't know what it is and uh, you know and then you just continue walking but something happened at that point and then you know a little while later, you, you see a, a flyer in a hardware store advertising meditation, and you realize it's the same place. And you just know that there's something that's um, transpired there. Um, I um, always wanted to uh, live in the country. You know, my wife and I, when we met, we went to Vancouver Island, lived for a while. But you know, you got back to Toronto, you kind of get uh, back into the city trance, and you forget a, that, that there's anything green or anything like that north of the 401. And, uh, and then I had a truck that I wanted to sell, and uh, nobody wanted to buy it. But then somebody phoned up and he said I had some land in Charbot Lake, and would, he, would we trade? It was a small mortgage that I'd have to assume. And all of a sudden I knew that you know, again, that was going to be very important. And, you know, it, it was. It was the energizing principle for almost a decade for me. You know, I'd fallen in love with the country again. Um, you know, it, it's one thing after the other, little things. Uh, during this period that I had to land, I had a horrific job for about nine years. I had a, a couple of trucks, and I was doing parcel delivery, like from 81 to about 89. And it was like grueling work in that you'd be there on Atlantic Avenue at 5.30 in the morning, and you would finish the day at 6.30 or 7.30 at night. And you would not stop, literally. And it was all hand bombing parcels all day, bookstores, you know, uh, drugstores, et cetera, hospitals. And, you know, it, but what made me do that was this love, this property I had, three and a half hours away, north of Kingston, you know, and it was the juice I needed. And the funny thing was that I would, after driving all day, Friday night, in the summer, almost every Friday, I would, uh, had a cube van, I'd get my wife and the kids and we'd jump in and we'd get up there about one o'clock and, you know, spend the weekend there. The funny part of it is that all day Saturday you were just trying to recuperate from the week and adjust to the air and the altitude and all the chores you had to do and you didn't really feel that great. And then Sunday morning you'd wake up and you'd feel fantastic. You know, like CBC would be on, you'd have the airtight stove maybe running, toast, coffee, looking out at nature. And, you know, it was maybe a three-hour window between waking up and the time they had to leave. Because if you left there after 11 o'clock, it'd be a six-hour drive back to Toronto. But those three hours on Sunday morning were kind of the juice I needed to, to work 60 or 70 hours the next week. When I sold the property, I quit my job. And uh, 
And that's another thing. I've mentioned this before as well, like intuition. This job I had was pretty soul-destroying. I mean, you weren't learning anything whatsoever. You weren't really developing any skills. You were just flocking, you know, uh, boxes all day and uh, having very cursory uh, uh, meetings with clients and what have you. But it was like mind-numbing. And, uh, and then one day, 1988, uh, the end of the year, I was delivering yet another box. Typically, we'd have 75 or 80 deliveries in a day. I've been to the place many times before. And I was standing by the elevator with the box, and I was looking at the wall, you know, waiting for the, the elevator was a bit late in coming up. I was thinking, there's something about the wall that's very important. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it seems to be composed of lots of little dots, you know, of paint, you know, different colors, but all kinds of dots. And I was thinking, what the heck is it? <laughs> Shows you how boring my job was. <laughs> And I was looking at it, and uh, uh, I said, it, it doesn't seem to be wallpaper, because I can't find, you know, I was looking for seams in it, and it, somebody must have come actually painted this wall like that somehow. And uh, that kind of struck me that this is what I want to do. You know, I want to not make dots on walls, but I, I'd like to kind of do something creative in my life. And, that kind of little thing developed and developed where I, I quit my job and I didn't talk to anybody. This is pre-internet days as well. I didn't go to any paint stores. I managed to find one book about special paint finishes in 1988 by Yacosta Innes. And, uh, but, you know, I knew that something very important was there. And, you know, to kind of quit your job when you've got two mortgages and things like that. And, you know, two kids in school and your wife's depending on, you know, it's a little bit gutsy or stupid or crazy. Uh, but there was just this intuition again that, you know, this is big. So, you know, I quit my job. And I thought, well, you know, what I'll do is I'll start trying to duplicate that and trying to make other things and buying all this bristle board and paint colors and flopping them around. And, uh, you know, I, again, not knowing the least of what I was doing, not knowing if anybody even wanted this stuff. And uh, one day I was slopping paint around on uh, the bristle board in my backyard, it got too much paint on it, took some paper towel, started blotting it off, and the paper towel started to leave a beautiful pattern, believe it or not. And all of a sudden, it was like another aha <laughs> moment. I thought, this is great, you know. Who would ever think that paper towel, when it gets wet, you know, kind of leaves, the bumpiness goes away and you get all these little creases in it, could leave this fine pattern. Impossible to tell how it was done. So you think, you know, a grown person would be have more important things to do than playing around with pieces of paper and paint all the time. But still, I had complete confidence that somehow this is going to evolve into a career. And uh, 
So, you know, I started sending out, chopping up these pieces of paper to designers and, uh, you know, sending them out and uh, thinking this is going to knock them dead, you know. Like I sent five or six of these little pieces of, you know, four by four inch uh, things like guillotined. And, you know, six weeks to do a mailing and two calls back out of 350 mailings, neither of, of which I got one little job from. Now, the previous job, every Monday morning, here's the white envelope, you know, and for the 80s, it was good money, you know, $1,200, $1,400. Here, there's no money. Money was leaving like crazy. I had very, not, didn't have that much to begin with. So, you know, I, I thought, well, it's odd, but, you know, it's a bit discouraging. So, but I went to work and did another mailing. Yeah, maybe they didn't like those samples. I'll put some more together and uh, come up with a different technique. And, and, but then there was a little bit of a buzz about special paints or full finishing. And mailed it out July and three calls. <laughs> Um, so, you know, and I got one job, which interestingly enough was a beautiful organization up in uh, Orangeville, Nishun Shoshu organization. But still, it's like nine months, I'd made like 1500 bucks. I had no money in the bank, and winter's coming on soon, and, uh, but I still, you know, I, you know, like there's still gotta be something here. And uh, so finally, you know, I actually did sort of start to lose it, you know, lose my patience. Uh, I, I, you know, kids are in school, you know, how are we gonna get through uh, fall and winter? Zero money. So I thought I'd, I'm gonna pack it in. Uh, I took all my rejected samples. I didn't feel like painting anymore. I put them in all my spare envelopes and I kind of had a nine pin dot matrix printer. I, I printed some something off half-heartedly to the designers. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of stamps left as well. And mailed it off and I was just about ready to call my old employer. And it had a fantastic response, you know. I mean, 45 calls. People wanted me to start the next day. And you know, sort of went from one extreme to the other. Uh, and, you know, it, it was, well, it was kind of uh, on the edge of failure, I guess. You know, it was so close to being failure and so crazy. And, like, I'm not one, I, I like to be very independent. I never, ever researched a single thing, you know, about anything. But, you know, somehow I think that was good because it, it meant that anything I was doing was just my own, basically. And it ended up when you actually went to meet with the designers, a few architects, that actually they had my previous mailings. You know, they considered it resource material because I'd sent them samples and they had a little folder and, but I guess it's third time's a charm, um, whatever. And since that mailing, 1989, uh, in October, um, I've never had to do another one. You know, I've, I've 
more or less had that as a career ever since. But that, that one day in the hallway with the package and looking at the wall, you know, it's, um, you know, something happened. Something happened walking by here. Uh, you can look like your whole life and little things happen. Uh, and uh, this is my dog, by the way, Buster. He died in, in February. And, uh, you know, Buster knew, as you can probably tell, this has taken an hour before we had to take him to Dr. Black's and have him put down, that, you know, he was going to die, basically. I hung out with him the whole night before. Uh, he went very willingly. He didn't like going to Dr. Black's. And this is the way I like to go through life, kind of with, you know, eyes wide open. And, you know, he knew like nine months before this happened, he, he developed some tumors. And we were at Dr. Black's um, talking about him and uh, with, with uh, Buster there. And Dr. Black said something in, in, the, in the con He said like, well, if it doesn't work, we might have to consider putting him down. And Buster immediately knew, you know, like he knew. So. Anyway, I don't want to talk about Buster and I'll get <laughs> upset. But, you know, I, I guess to kind of wind up on, on this, really trust. Uh, I think you have to trust in the cosmos and when things come through. You're being supported by the universe. You're being supported um, to kind of, one way or the other, uh, develop. And, and that, that trust, even how, how crazy something might seem, uh, it's not. I mean, what's crazier than sitting on a Madden cushion and achieving nothing? And yet you're achieving everything when you do that.